Hi there, listener. Sarah Holmes speaking. Welcome to Learning Day, a journey to explore how we integrate learning in our everyday lives. And this is Season 2, dedicated to documenting what we've learned in 2020. Here's the second episode. During the first months of 2020, as many of us were stuck at home for a lot more time than what we were used to, we turned to art and creativity. Some of us read more, or watched more films, or listened to more music, or created new games and plays to keep our children entertained. I also saw people giving balcony concerts, learning how to play new instruments, drawing portraits on demand, creating dance routines in their group of friends, writing poems. On the other hand, many artists and the professionals who support them struggled and are still struggling to make ends meet. In one way or another, art and creativity were a central part of 2020. If you're wondering how to keep art in your life moving forward, this episode is for you. Today's guest is Katie Shelley. We talked about allowing yourself to be an artist and expressing your creativity and tolerating being bad at something for a while in order to learn it. I hope you enjoy our chat. Hello, Katie. Hi. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Sarah? I'm doing well. Yes. How's Cadiz today? Cadiz is beautiful. Sort of just a drizzly, kind of cloudy day, which is sort of rare here. So it's nice. I have a question for you. Can you guess what I'm holding in my hand right now? An orange. No, that's a good guess. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a tour guide or a guide to Barcelona from Katie and the Lozo. Oh. Do you remember this? I do. That was from the pre-pandemic days of travel and visits from friends. I do remember that. I was thinking, how could we start this conversation? And then this guide just popped into my mind very dear memory that I have spending time with you and Alonso in Barcelona and just feeling very guided. So thank you again. Oh, that's sweet. Thanks, Sarah. And thank you for joining us on Learning Day. It's an absolute honor to have you here as a friend and as an artist. Katie, how would you describe yourself as a learner? I would say I am a voracious, bottomless, enthusiastic learner. Since I was little, really, I always loved school, loved to learn, I loved to read. So yeah, that's like probably one of my core traits from my earliest days as a human. As a kid, it was that I liked school and, you know, I got good grades and I was always engaged and pretty curious about the things that we learned in school. And now, as an adult, school is pretty much done. You know, we did a master's degree together in Manchester, and that was sort of the end of the road, I guess, for me in terms of formal education. But now I think my sort of bottomless desire to learn expresses itself in podcasts like yours. I really want to learn piano. I love learning different kinds of dance. Before the pandemic, I was learning flamenco in a pretty serious way here in Spain learning languages. I mean, I just feel like life is a catalog of things to learn. And I'm just trying to get my way through as much as I can before I die. (laughs) I I don't know if you remember, we went to, or I joined you on a flamenco class. Right. That's right. 
It was wonderful. Every time I think about dance and I'm talking about dancing, I remember that experience. It's such a liberating experience to just stomp your feet on the ground and let all that energy go out, the bad energy go out and the good energy come in. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I felt on that day. Yeah. And we had such an amazing community too. Something I really loved about that learning experience is that it was so social. I tend to be pretty maybe solitary and the pandemic is making that even more pronounced, I think. But, you know, before we would go into class, you remember like the little dressing room where everyone used to like strip down to their underwear together is like a bonding experience. And everyone, you know, was kind of coming after work hours, maybe like 6, 7 p.m. And people would come in and we would always joke with each other like, the other students in the flamenco school like we come in with this long face after a long day at work all grouchy and grumpy and then you do an hour of dancing and you go out like walking on air so light and so happy and it just totally changes your mood so yeah like you said the stomping just lets it all out and it requires a certain attitude that you need to learn to coordinate with the movements and with your feet and your hands and your face. And it's very complete, I find. That is so true. That completeness means that you have to be in the room. You can't be thinking about some other thing outside of flamenco class because the instructor is literally asking you to think about your head, your hips, your feet, your hands, the rhythm, you know, listen for the guitar, listen for when the singer does this with their voice. And it's like a complete bodily engagement so yeah there's no room to worry about what you forgot at the grocery store that is sparking a another question that maybe you can help me explore i find this in certain things that i learned that it's part being aware of all those details and then it's part feeling what is the, the next step and where where to go without paying that much attention yeah and I'm wondering, it's probably a next stage, right? First, you need to pay attention to the rules and then you start feeling it. What do you think? Was this how it worked for you? Yeah, I think in flamenco and probably many things that I've learned and I think that we've all learned, you know, the beginning, you're very, very aware of what you're doing and it's very awkward and it's almost impossible to have so many things in your mind at once but then the magic of practice and practice and more practice is that our brains do this amazing I don't know what they do they do this synthesis process of of just gluing all these things together so that you don't have to think as hard the next time if you keep practicing yeah you can slowly start to do things that just you can blow your own self away with what you've learned I saw that in, in flamenco classes for sure. We are talking about one kind of art, which is dance, but you are here today to talk about a different kind of art that you do. What is that kind of art? I'm an illustrator and artist. And what kind of works of art are you most proud of? Oh man, well, right here over my desk, I'm looking at some big photos that I printed out of the murals that I did while I lived in Barcelona. I think there's something about outdoor murals that is just the most dazzling type of illustration, I think, that I can do. You're outside and people are going by and you're sort of making this mark on a real place that people walk by every day. So I think murals have got to be probably the most exciting and fun thing that I do. But a mural is a rare thing, especially these days. But I illustrate books, book covers, posters. I do short animations, really anything to help people make their ideas visual, help people explain a concept 
maybe illustrations for a presentation or for social media, that sort of thing. How did you get here? Did you start as an artist or was this a journey? The journey was a circle <laughs> because I did start doing really exactly this. I would say more so than a fine artist, I really started out in illustration, I would say. Like thinking back to high school, I used to love making posters, t-shirts for the volleyball team or the school dance that was coming up. And, you know, I put my drawings on it. I loved that idea of art that was functional and was part of a bigger story. So I started doing a lot of that in high school. And then over the course of my adult life, I took this long walk through all the different disciplines of design and digital and fine art as well. And really, after maybe about 10 years of exploring, I landed right back where I started, which is posters and book covers and that sort of thing. Do you see that cycle as a, a detour or a necessary part of the journey? I think if I hadn't done it, and if I had just continued, let's say in high school, if I had said, oh, I really like this particular type of illustration, I'm going to study this in school and go forward with this, I might have reached a point where my curiosity became too big to contain, and mm -hmm. I might have had to, I don't know, leave it at some point. But the way I feel now is like, I've really quenched my thirst in terms of exploring what is design, what is experience design, what is What is architecture? What is painting and installation and, you know, all, the, all of these different disciplines that it allows me to come back to where I started and say, okay, you know, I've, I've seen the world <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy to be where I am. And I know that this is a place where I fit really well and where I'm really happy to be working. I'm hearing a sort of potentially escaping some FOMO, some fear of missing out. <laughs> is that what you're saying? That could be a way of saying it, yeah. I think also, I'm sure everyone's life wouldn't fit into this, but my life has just in terms of like the stages of life, I guess. And, you know, being young is a really good time to just explore. Not that I'm not young, but my early 20s, really my whole 20s, that whole 10-year period was just traveling, exploring, meeting people, learning new things, just completely immersing myself in all kinds of information. And, you know, one thing that I learned would lead to the next thing and lead to the next book and lead to the next talk and lead to the next person I wanted to talk to. And now I feel in a much more different place in life, you know, settling down a bit more. I don't really feel that burning need to travel and to explore in that all-encompassing way. That's very interesting. Sometimes we think about artists as these uncontrollable beings that have this sort of like necessary craziness to be able to be an artist. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's a precondition or that it isn't? I don't think it's a precondition. I think it might be a stereotype that goes along with the sort of persona of an artist. You know, we see a lot of stories of famous artists like, you know, Van Gogh, who cut off his own ear, and Dali, who was just a total eccentric. So I guess it's easy to kind of fixate on these iconic personalities as the template for what an artist is. But I know many artists who are pretty boring, I think, in their day-to-day -day lives. And actually, interestingly, I know a lot of artists who feel that the more they get their life under control, so to speak, eating well and sleeping well and healthy habits, you know, the opposite of this like wild partying drug addicted artist or whatever, 
the more that they kind of are healthy and balanced, the the better it is for their creativity. It wouldn't apply to anyone. I mean, there are certainly some people who have felt that they needed drugs or they needed, you know, a party scene or whatever to create art. But really, I think there are artists of all kinds. And it's not like there's a particular disposition that makes you any more or less suited to doing really great creative work. Last time we talked, we mentioned that there are multiple definitions of what an artist is and how an artist behaves and how an artist creates their art. Mm -hmm. And the word you mentioned, stereotype, it is indeed a stereotype that we have. And it probably keeps some people from pursuing a creative or artistic life because they don't want to live in that instability and craziness. They want stability, financial stability and other kinds. I'm thinking about something you said the other day, which was that you needed to figure out the business side of being an artist before anything else. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. I think my story is probably pretty similar to a lot of people's story in terms of jumping into freelance. I started working a full-time job as a media producer at the Cooper Hewitt Museum in New York City. And I was moonlighting as an illustrator. And I actually published a cookbook. I mean, I was so young. I was like, I don't know, maybe 22 years old. And I managed to get this book deal of writing and illustrating a cookbook totally on my own. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder if I could spin this up into my full-time gig. And that idea was terrifying to me. One of my good friends, Ben Bernstein, he was a freelancer at that time. And I remember looking at his life and the way he, you know, sometimes we would hang out and he would be like, oh, yeah, I have tons of work. It's really great. And then other times he would be like, oh, it's really slow. It's really lean. Like it's a tough period. And I remember like going home after those days hanging out with Ben and thinking like, oh, I don't I don't think I could stomach that, you know, in terms of stability and financially, it's so much more comfortable to just go to a job every day and get your paycheck. I kind of ruled it out for myself, but then actually it was Hyper Island that really emboldened me to see so many people. We met so many industry leaders and interesting people who came in and talked to us about their creative practices as freelancers or solopreneurs. And then I thought, oh, I could totally do that. There's nothing these people have that I don't. There's so many things about a full-time job that are frustrating that I started to really think about that. And I got really excited about potentially leaving office politics and office power play and all that downside of working a full-time gig. I thought like it would be really nice to just focus on the work and not focus on, you know, office drama. So yeah, I felt kind of motivated to try, also really scared. And I guess I did kind of go into it sort of backwards because I really started thinking about the business side first. I mean, it's continuous, the artistic side, you know, like it's, it's a slow roll of just practicing every day. If you could see behind me, I have another desk. It's kind of symbolic. I have my work desk with my computer and keyboard and papers and notes. And then behind me, I have my fun desk, <laughs> which is like paint and sketchbooks and, you know, all my drawing supplies. So the things that happen on the fun desk <laughs> are, um, it's slow, you know, like, 
becoming a good artist is a lifelong pursuit. And I feel like I do not have that down at all. But what I do have down or pretty solid is reaching out to people, potential clients, letting them know that I'm available, negotiating a rate with them, you know, basically like being a slow solo business person. I feel that I kind of work that out first, being the artist that I am, being as good as I am, which is, you know, certainly not a Picasso or anything, but it's, it's definitely good enough for my clients. So yeah, it's like that part came first and the artistic part, you know, it's ever coming. If that makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. And I'm happy you're not Picasso because we already <laughs> have one. And now we have, we need Katie. We need, we need you. That's fascinating for me. The way you see it, that you started backwards. I do think it is starting backwards from most people, I would say. I also work as a freelancer. I absolutely relate with what you are saying uh, in terms of getting away from office drama. Sometimes there's a lot of drama that is created in my head. Sometimes it's worse than office drama, but most of the time is quieter and easier to manage. What I do struggle with, definitely, it's still the business side. And I think most people who are freelancers don't start the way you started. So I think that's a very interesting perspective. Why do you think you started there? If I had waited to get my artistic skills to the place where I thought they should be, I would still be waiting. I guess that early experience of the cookbook kind of made me feel like, oh, like, I'm just a newbie. Like, I'm just starting out. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I got this gig. Like, it kind of helped me see that maybe the barrier to entry wasn't as high as I might have thought. I probably would have never thought like of myself as being a potential freelance illustrator until I had this experience of the book and then thinking like, oh, that didn't take very much effort. I wonder what would happen if I actually did put some effort in. Definitely the same experience I have. I started doing some projects before becoming full-time freelancer, and that definitely gave me the courage and the confidence to, to do it. And as you said, you start realizing, actually, it's not that hard. Don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> yeah. We do have these big ideas that to be a, a creative person or to be an entrepreneur, you need to have, I don't know, a PhD almost. Right. <laughs> Although it, you have all those stories of the, the young, usually guys that get out of college and drop out of college and start a business. But those are like the 1%, if not 0.1. And then in our experience, when we are going to start something, we always feel inapt. And I think it's realizing that feeling that is absolutely normal and just doing it anyway and realizing that even if you feel that, someone wants to pay for what you do mm -hmm. and it becomes more and more normal to feel that. I'm curious to know if there was anything that helped you learn that business side. So obviously it was trial and error, but was any specific experience that helped you? Something that has really helped me is that I'm part of an online community of illustrators. It's called Corvid Community. It actually was started before the COVID pandemic, so it was just an unfortunate <laughs> coincidence that they named it that. I think Corvid is actually like a type of bird or something. That's been really helpful in figuring out the business side because there are some illustrators in there who are a couple of steps ahead of me in the process who are sort of available to answer questions. In illustration, one of the trickier things is figuring out licensing and intellectual property. 
So that's been a real help being in touch with and sort of making connections with people who are a couple steps ahead of me in their journey as freelance illustrators. You've mentioned role models a couple of times already. So it seems like it's very helpful for you to see the examples of other people and what other people are doing. Yeah, for sure. Hi there. I hope you're enjoying my chat with Katie. And before we go back to it, I want to share with you a message from Joanna, a member of the Learning Day community. Hi, my name is Joanna and I've been joining the weekly reflection sessions for the last couple of months. I really enjoy them because I think reflection is a key part of working as a freelancer, but at the same time, I don't always make the time for doing it. And booking in with these sessions really ensures that I take the time to think through what's happened for me in the week and it's really good. Consider joining one of the weekly reflection sessions this Thursday. Go to learningday.community to learn more and sign up. Now, back to our chat. So we talked about how you've learned or one of the things that helped you learn the business side. And now I'd like to focus on the other side. So you've mentioned the constant need to practice and to improve. I, I have a question that might be slightly deeper than that. You will help me figure that out. Would you say that you became an artist or that you allow the artist in yourself to exist? Definitely, I experienced it more as allowing the artist in me to exist. I think that everyone is creative. I think that creativity is an inherent part of the human mind and experience. And we have proof of that. You know, just go back and look at ancient cave paintings or, mm. you know, the earliest forms of song and dance. Those things weren't necessary strictly to survive. You know, it's like food, water, shelter over your head and you know, music, dance, painting, you know, why do humans do this? I think it's just something that's inside of us. Going back in time to older cultures, I think creativity was kind of a collective thing or, or something that was just more part of everyday life, you know, like weaving or Or dancing and singing, I think we're much more common, like here in southern Spain, going back to flamenco. Now is, of course, not the time to pull out examples, but previous to the pandemic, I remember in this part of Spain, if you walk by a gathering of people in a bar or at a wedding or at a, any kind of sort of event where people are gathered, it's not uncommon to see people circled around, singing, even dancing, if it's really animated. It's just part of the culture. And I think that's because, you know, the culture here is pretty old, pretty traditional and not totally steamrolled by globalization yet. This creativity is inside of us and we can see that in older versions of our culture. And it's just sort of, I guess, the culture that we live in now that kind of makes it into this thing that you have to learn or this ridiculous idea like unless I get a graduate degree in writing I can't be a writer or unless I get an MFA in painting I can't be a painter like it's so silly because these are you know natural creative urges that are as old as time and you don't need a PhD to deal with that creative urge that you have inside of you. I'm definitely guilty of that exact thing that you are describing. I was having this conversation with other friends the other day. I feel incredibly well when I'm singing, but mm. I don't do it because I don't do it as well as I wanted to do it. And it's so frustrating that I have that inside me and I still feel blocked and it doesn't come out as often as I would probably benefit from because I do feel it's inside and I don't allow it to come out as much as I should. And 
yesterday I, I, I was sitting here in my office and work was not going well. I was not getting anything done. And I decided, okay, I'm done. And I just put some music on and looked outside. I just sang for a little bit and I felt so much better. And I was able to process what I was feeling. And I, I got real insight by doing that. What you said, like allowing the creativity and the artist in you to come out doesn't have to mean that you are a professional artist. It can be you are an artist by yourself in your office and that's okay. Yeah. Or even you could take it further and say you're a person and all people are artists or all people are inherently creative. And it's just our culture that's telling us that you need to have some kind of institution or degree crown you as a singer in order to be allowed to sing. I mean, what could be more sillier than that? So if you allowed yourself to be an artist and not just became an artist, how did you learn to allow yourself to become an artist? Part of it was probably thinking these kinds of thoughts that we're thinking right now in this conversation. Realizing, I really enjoy painting. I always have. But I have all these hang-ups about it, or I don't allow myself to do it. Or when I do paint, I, you know, I think it's not good enough, and therefore I shouldn't keep trying. And then kind of logically overcoming that in my head and saying, like, well, that's just culture telling me not to try this. So I think it was sort of logically overcoming cultural barriers. I think in myself, I had to really comb through all of my different ideas about who I wanted to be in the world. I definitely grew up in a pretty competitive like school environments. You know, I can think back to like an assembly full of students where the principal of the school or whatever is saying, you are the best and the brightest. You can do anything you want to do and be anything you want to be. And I guess just having this expectation for a really long time hanging over my head that I had to be, I don't know, some kind of highfalutin lawyer or mm. I don't know, high achieving fill in the blank, whatever. <laughs> and yeah, just realizing also there like, oh, this is just kind of, I don't know, another sort of game in our culture that we play. You have to extricate yourself from that. And you have to say, thank you for these opportunities. Thank you for this incredible education. Now I'm going to take it and I'm going to do what I want with it because I'm my own person. I've had this exact conversation with two other friends, one who decided to pursue being a yoga teacher and another one who decided to study cooking and both things that seem to be less important than becoming a CEO or a journalist or whatever. So it's, it's interesting that it keeps coming up. Shall we go to 2020? Sure. I'm wondering, how did this year help you to become a better artist? I think a lot of artists feel this way about the pandemic. It's a horrible situation and I don't wish it on the world, but the silver lining of the pandemic has been all the distractions cut out of my life. No trips, no travel, no friends, <laughs> which means that, you know, I have no excuse but to sit my butt down and practice drawing. And I think that in 2020, not even so much that I got the practice in, but more that I realized like, okay, Katie, like, here you are home for months, and you're still not practicing, like, clearly, like, these are excuses, and it's now or never sort of a thing. So actually, my New Year's resolution for 2021 was to practice every day in my sketchbook. And, you know, I've been sort of imperfectly keeping up with that. 
So yeah, I think the learning of 2020 was just like really having everything stripped away and seeing that what was getting between me and practicing painting in the way that I wanted to was myself. You've probably used more than one strategy, but I know you used a book to help you in this practice during 2020. Can you tell us about that? Sure. This book, I feel like I feel like it's on fire. I'm seeing it everywhere now. I don't know if it's just because I did it and now I'm seeing it everywhere or people are sending it to me and saying, look, it's your book. I think it was written in like 1985 or something like that. It's called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. It's been reprinted tons of times and translated into almost every language. And it's a 12-week program, I guess, more than a book. You follow along every week. You do activities each week. You read a little chapter. And it's all about, really, it's very connected to what I was just saying about the learning of 2020, being realizing, acknowledging and accepting that I was blocking myself, that I was getting in my own way. The artist way is very, very good at helping point that out to us. And I did it with a group of people. If anyone is thinking about doing the artist way, I would highly recommend getting together a group of friends, three, four, five people. I don't think the number really matters to check in each week about the reading and the activities because it's very easy to very enthusiastically take it up for two or three weeks and then leave it. But having the group really, we all said in the group, we would have never finished these 12 weeks if it weren't for the accountability of the group. Is there anything you'd like to highlight from how 2020 helped you to become a better artist beyond this book and this program? One thing that you said earlier about Like something that's hard for you with singing is when you sing and you're not happy with the way it sounded or the way it came out. I think that is a huge step forward, actually, because this is one of the things in the Artist Way book, which is also, I think, so true. Like, if you want to practice something, you have to be able to tolerate being bad at it. Or, you know, for me, drawing things where I look at it and I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Like, this is so ugly can't believe I drew that. Like, why did I waste my time, you know? <laughs> Or for you, singing and feeling like you didn't like the way it came out. You have to be able to take that in stride and be like, okay, like drawing things that I think are ugly are part of the practice. It's part of the process. It's no problem. I'm going to keep going. It sounds like a simple thing, but it's not. No, it's not at all. Not easy at all. But it is part of the process. Mm -hmm. What other things have you learned in 2020 beyond your artistic practice? I think I finally said goodbye <laughs> to a voice in my head who was always kind of like pointing out my own shortcomings to myself, if that makes sense. I guess you could say like an, an inner critic of sorts. I had a tendency to always say to myself that I should be the other thing. For example, if I find myself in my studio painting, working, doing client work, sending emails and thinking to myself, oh, like, so pleasant to just be here in my quiet office and do my work and like send my emails and clock out when I'm ready to clock out and like have this solitary working method. But then like the critic in that scenario would say like, but that's just a selfish way of working and you should really be collaborating with others and the best ideas come from deep collaboration and that you're just isolating yourself from the world. I wouldn't allow myself to have to just appreciate something that went well or something that I was good at because there was this voice in my head that was always like, whatever it is that you think you just did well is like not that good and 
you probably should be the opposite way or even like, you know, I'm not that good at painting landscapes. You know, I consider myself much better at painting people, the human figure. And so like that voice could say like, you're a shitty artist because you suck at landscapes, you know? But it's like, no, like, okay, I might not be the best at landscapes, but I'm really good at drawing people. You don't need to be good at landscapes to be a good artist. Just always, always focusing on the, the thing I didn't have or the thing I couldn't do. I think this is part of like just getting older too. I've reached a maybe a maturity level in myself where I'm just able to say like, it's okay that I'm good at drawing people and not so good at drawing landscapes. It's okay that I like a quiet day in my office. It doesn't mean that I'm not a collaborative person, you know, like, <laughs> and just leaning into being me instead of always thinking that the thing that I'm not as good at is somehow what I need to be. That hits so close to home. You know, I think it's very common, actually. The more I reflect on this and share it with other people, the more I realize that I think this is actually really common. That's one thing that I've learned in 2020 is that I was, our experiences aren't that different yeah. at all. We're much more similar than we think in our experience. Before I go into the closing questions, is there anything, el anything else you'd like to say or ask me or I don't know? Well, I'm really curious when you're going to get back into singing. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, will I make a, a commitment here that I will do that? Maybe. Maybe I should, because as you said, you need to practice. You need to make mistakes to then get better at it. Okay, I will make an official commitment to post something of me singing, even oh, if it's 30 seconds. Okay. I love that. I think that's great. I'd love to see that. I'm already terrified, but it's okay. <laughs> it's part of the process. Katie, the last question. What is learning for you? I think learning is this magical process that happens in our brains and in our bodies without us even having to do anything, which connects back to what we've been saying about practice. All we have to do is practice, and it's like our mind and body will take care of the rest. For example, you know that I practice yoga, and so I stopped for a while, or I was practicing pretty infrequently for a while, and I recently came back to it daily, and there's this one pose called compass pose, which I really like, but it's pretty challenging. It's kind of an advanced pose. The first day I tried it after, like, you know, I don't know, maybe even a year of not having done it, it was, like, terrible, you know? Like, I could barely get into it. It was really tough, and I was like, oh, boy. But then, like, it's not like I have to do anything other than show up on the mat and practice, do that pose every day. And two weeks later, I'm, like, flying in the pose, you know? Like, it's great. And I think the, the amazing, magical thing about that is, like, I didn't do anything, really. I didn't, I didn't have to invent Newton's formula, you know? Like, all I had to do was show up and do that pose every day for 10 days. So it's like we have these amazing hardware, software machines called the brain and body, <laughs> which are just like perfectly built to do anything like painting, learning Portuguese, playing the piano, singing, painting landscapes, you know, like whatever it is, we can do anything. I think that anyone can do any of these things. It's not about talent. All you have to do is practice regularly and your brain, your hardware software system will take care of the rest. If you can tolerate being bad at it for a while, which is the key hurdle that you have to kind of get over. Wonderful. Katie, if you could ask one question to our listeners, what would that be? Is there anything that you wish you were practicing right now? 
I like that. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for your generosity, for sharing your process with us. And I wish a wonderful 2021 to you. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. It's been great to be part of the Learning Day project. If you want to get in touch with Katie, you can find out how on the show notes. I would also love to hear from you. Go to learningday.community and reach out. If this episode was useful to you, consider subscribing to Learning Day on your podcast app. And as a little extra, share it with a friend. I don't know where this is going to take us, but I know we're going to learn something along the way. Thank you for listening. See you next time.